Welcome to another episode. I am D, and this is the Sussex Set. And my, 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 a lot has happened since that interview, hasn't it? It's been a while since I recorded, and that that is by design because I wanted to give enough time just to see exactly how would the royal family react? You know, how would the world react? I think after the interview, I recorded a reaction video. You know, there's so many more things I wanted to say about the interview just because there were so many things I missed just in reacting to it. But right after that, England watched the interview. And in the meantime, between then and now, my channel low-key exploded just a little bit. But um, so many people who I guess couldn't watch the interview were watching different reactions, American reactions to the interview that had been posted on YouTube. And my, my channel was one of those. But like in the month since the interview aired, people are really showing their true colors, aren't they? I mean, the fallout has been immense. And I love it. So since the interview aired, here are some things that I noticed. Well, we see other members of the royal family, like lesser important members, just living out their lives, you know, in peace, in privacy. Uh, Beatrice had a baby. Uh, Zara had a baby. Everybody else, you know, they, they get to live in peace and harmony and not be bothered by the press and things of that nature. Things that Harry and Meghan were never entitled to. But it's good to see somebody, you know, getting peace and quiet. Fine. That's cool. But the higher ranked members of the royal family, particularly Frick and Frack, they're basically acting like they have something to hide. And almost immediately, they went into damage control mode. Um, Charles did too. Um, we saw him right away, you know, at a... Um, you know, of, of a hospital or a church where people were getting vaccines full of black people. Um, but for the most part, since the interview, Charles has kind of kept a low profile and the media hasn't really been focusing on him. Um, social media hasn't even really been fo focusing on him. They've been focusing on Will, Will and Kate. Now, I think part of that is due to the cliques. They're the younger, you know, um, members of the royal family who are in direct comparison with Harry and Meghan and Harry and Meghan are what bring them the clicks. It ain't, it ain't Will and Kate, but when they write about Will and Kate in relation to Harry and Meghan, then that's going to bring in clicks. And we've noticed this for a long time, but I think regular people are also starting to notice that whenever you see an article that is about Will, Harry's name is going to get mentioned, probably Meghan's too. If there's an article that's about Kate, Megan's name is going to get mentioned because that's the only way that I guess with the search engine optimization, that's the way that people who are because people are looking for Megan news um, will find it. And they'll stumble upon articles that are uh, about Kate just because Megan's name is scattered up and through it. Well, a lot of that has backfired on Will and Kate because when they go out at their engagements and the media talks about those engagements the global audience sees them as the bullies they believe them to be thanks to that interview. And now not, there's not even anything the media can do to shield them from that. 
And a lot of it is Will and Kate just kind of shooting themselves in the foot as well. And it's just because they can't help themselves. They want to be seen. They want to be talked about. But they have to be seen and talked about because that's the only way that they can remain relevant. But post-interview, in that effort to remain relevant um, and to do their quote-unquote work as working royals, there's a double-edged sword. Because, for example, when Will and Kate talk about mental health, as they are going to talk about mental health because of, you know, the very deliberate and intricate narrative that they've built around their mental health advocacy. But now when they talk about it, like now when they talk about it, not just Sussex Squad, but anyone who is at least neutral, they hear that and they say, well, something's not right about that. And so this is the battle that they're going to have to fight really for the rest of their lives, Um, at least for the next couple of years um because nobody believes them nobody believes them we believe harry and megan and we being everybody except for england and i'm gonna get into that but the reason we believe harry and megan and not will and kate and say to will and kate hey you actually don't have a leg to stand on here you shouldn't be talking about anybody's mental health given what this pregnant woman has just said she went through Because we don't even have to take Megan's word for it. We can take Diana's word for it. We see what that machine does to people who um, have mental health issues or are in, in a period of trauma due to the machinery of the royal family. But even Harry, and I didn't talk about this on the last episode, but even Harry said, and this is the one thing that I think really sort of made me extremely sad with regard to what he had to say was that when Oprah asked him, well, when your wife was trying to get this help and she wasn't getting anywhere with it, why didn't you take it further? You being a member of the Royal family. And he said that he was ashamed. Like even Harry, Harry, the heads together guy, you know what I'm saying? Was ashamed. Um, He said that. And so that to me was kind of disappointing, but At the same time, you understand if that's his upbringing, that's all he knows. So that's a machine that just absolutely dismantles a healthy mind. And so when Will and Kate are out here trying to pretend that they care about people's mental health and that they're advocates for it, it's doing them more harm than good, but they have no choice but to do that. And so it becomes sort of a downward spiraling cycle for them um and that's one of the beautiful things because i honestly feel like that's what they freaking deserve and no amount of any sort of manufactured uh positive pr is going to undo what people already know about them which is that they're frauds and not just will and kate but like the whole operation they've been exposed and so the last a couple of weeks since that interview has been nothing but the royal family trying to recover, recover. They're spending all of their energy trying to recover from a two hour interview. Well, it wasn't really just the interview, was it? It was everything that led to the interview. But Harry and Meghan are out here doing their thing. 
Like they're good. But the royal family is not. The British press and the royal reporters, they continue their smear campaign. And I'm sure they made a pretty penny (laughs) off of Harry and Meghan and the interview news, both before and immediately after. Um, And they continue in their quest to turn as many people in England as they can against Harry and Meghan. Now, to me, I don't really care so much about that. We know that there's a there's a smear campaign in effect and they're even recycling old dead stories just to get clicks because Harry and Meghan are newsworthy and American media has moved on. <laughs> like that doesn't reach us. It only reaches me and, and the rest of you guys listen to this is just because you're on Twitter and you're, you know, you, you're friends with like everybody in the Sussex squad and so we see it. But like, Girl, we're not really into believing the lies over here. Just the regular average person in America who knows who Harry and Meghan are or who may have even watched that interview. I think a lot of people have shown that they are concerned that the like the British public, for example, is somehow turned against or, you know, the British media was successful in turning them against Harry and Meghan. The reason that doesn't bother me is because it doesn't really impact Harry and Meghan. Like what else can you do to them? What can you do to them that you haven't already done? Like if you want to believe that she's a witch and he's a hostage, then believe it. They're still out here making deals and moving on with their life and raising their children. Like that has no impact on them. Um, And I think the British media always comes from a place of wanting profit. So I always just say recognize it for what it is. It's just a bunch of greedy people who need to pay their mortgages and they can't do it with the duds. Like I said, they always try to interlace Harry and Meghan's name in in articles about, you know, Will, Kate, Charles, Zara, uh, Beatrice. I mean, somebody somebody tweeted a picture of... um, Beatrice and her husband no it was a headline about Zara I think Zara Phillips and and whoever else I don't really know these people's names but she had a baby and the picture was of Harry and Meghan and Archie like they need Harry and Meghan to survive so um just recognize it as for what it is it's a bunch of people who can't pay their bills otherwise um and speaking of members of the media Piers Morgan walked off his job now that was a beautiful turn of events um and not only Piers Morgan but his good friend Sharon Osbourne lost her job as well and it's what the girls deserve and understand these two happenings are a direct result of this interview so two bigots losing their job I'm here for it now Piers did quit Um, He's probably going to be hired somewhere else. I'm sure he has other gigs as well. He still works with the Daily Mail. But what he doesn't have is this pulpit that he can just basically hijack uh, in order to bash Megan every morning to his bigoted freaking viewers. Um, That's a big thing that was taken away from him. And then also uh, Sharon, she decided to just, you know, throw her hat in with with. Piers Morgan and ultimately she ended up losing her position because you may or may not have been following it but um, she was having a moment on stage where she demanded that Cheryl who was also a uh, co-host on, on the show didn't cry and that's a whole nother thing. 
I will from ask me. you again, Cheryl. Yes. I've been asking you during the break. Right. I am asking you again. And don't try and cry, because if anyone should be crying, it should be me. Um, that pissed me off. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie. But ultimately, everybody was like, "How do? You, how dare you tell this black woman not to cry?" Uh, when he, you are just completely bawling into tissues. And so it became sort of a conversation that was being had by women of color everywhere because here she was, this British person, being allied with somebody who was a complete bully to Megan. And in her doing that is saying, no, don't you cry. Don't you show vulnerability. And that's exactly what these same people have done to Megan, uh, telling her that her pain doesn't matter. Um, you know, her, her mental trauma doesn't matter. Um, and people were just not having it. And so CBS, who also aired the interview, who is also the network that this show, um, the talk was on and, you know, they went on hiatus and, and there was no way there was no way that Sharon was going to come back to that show. So I knew when she was on hiatus that they decided they were going to decide because it, there was no other decision to make um, that there's no way she could have come back on that show. And so she is a casualty of the interview as well. And it's like, you know, it's what you deserve because um, you couldn't help yourself. That's what you see a lot of a lot of people that just can't help themselves um, and they just let their racism creep out. And then all of these other stories are coming out about how um, she had said some very nasty and questionable things to other people who were on the show. Uh, racial names and, and comments made about Asian, an Asian host to the show. Holly Robinson Pete said that she called her ghetto and just just all kinds of problematic stuff, um, which surprised no one. But. Karma has definitely had her way with both of them. And the way that Britain has exposed itself as racist has been quite interesting. Like, it's not like it's something that we didn't know, but just the reaction of certain types of people um, after this interview and, and with the whole conversation that's now continuing to be had, because truthfully, I feel like the world in a way had it since the George, the George Floyd um, you know, killing and the, the protests that kind of sparked up all over the place. Now they're having it again. Like, I feel like Britain is reluctantly having this conversation because they're not used to having it. And they're hearing more people saying, no, this, we need, we need to actually look at this. We need to actually take a deep dive into not just the, the current state of affairs, but also like the history of things in this country. And it's making a lot of people uncomfortable. And that's crazy because English history is by definition racist. And it's almost like the rest of us can't believe what some English people refuse to believe is right in front of their faces. And I've seen Black Brits drive that conversation, which is not a surprise because it usually is left to the person of color, the people of color to draw, to even have the conversation in the first place, because, uh, cue the UK government, uh, who would much rather you believe that racism does not exist. It may exist in superficial ways, but not systemically. Right. And how convenient that that came out right after the interview, right after 
the world then begins to question whether the royal family is racist. Um, <laughs> like, like it, it, it's really just been an amazing thing to watch unfold. Now, the study has probably been ongoing, you know, maybe I'm pretty sure it started before the interview. I, I really didn't delve that deeply into it, but I saw the media certainly promoting that saying, oh, well, England isn't racist because that, that doesn't go with the narrative that they've made up about themselves. And to an, to an extent that the rest of the world had sort of believed you know, um, I think me as a, a black American, I'm always going to be skeptical of um, black people's treatment in any white dominated space, whether it's a country, whether it's a workplace. But I mean, before any of this, I was convinced that a lot of black Brits believe that racism wasn't um, a thing and that Americans, black Americans, all we ever do is complain about race. You know, I've kind of talked about that uh, previously in, in, in this podcast where over here it's like, yeah, we talk about it. We do talk about it, you know, because our experience is a little bit different from you guys. But at the same time, racism is racism. Right. So we're going to have that conversation. It, it will be ongoing for as long as inequality exists. That's how we <laughs> approach it. Um, where over here, we know the fucking house is on fire. Like literally white supremacy almost, well, it, it did overtake the Capitol and it almost did our democracy in. Um, but over there, y'all are just fucking drinking tea and eating crumpets <laughs> talking about racism is racism real. You know what I'm saying? And I, I, sorry to paint with a broad brush, but that's what it seemed like to me for the longest time. So it's definitely been refreshing to see people have this conversation. And even with that gov government commission study saying that racism wasn't systemic there, there has been a healthy amount of pushback. So that's just been a really interesting conversation to see play out post the Harry and Meghan interview. And while England is trying to convince itself and, you know, its citizens and the rest of the world that it's not racist, like we all watched as England literally walled itself off from the rest of Europe. Right. So in a lot of ways, I think that's what the British press is doing in support of this sort of study um, and what the British royal family is doing. They're trying to have it both ways. They're trying to convince anybody who will listen that they're not racist and that they are inclusive when the data is right there. The history is right there. Our very Irish American president, like Joe Biden's American, but he is very proud of his his, his Irish roots. Um, you can hear that when he's talking about his own ancestors that were from Ireland, born in Ireland. And what, quote unquote, the Brits did, which is why they came to America. Do you know what I mean? And Irish folks over here, they're white, but they weren't always white. They weren't British white, right? Just like um, Italians, when they came to America, they weren't considered white. It was only when they got to America that they were considered white because they had black people to be compared to. And so over here, racism being what it is, decided that the lighter you are, the better off you are. Right. But, you know, and that's that's a whole entire different, you know, set of, you know, facts and history. But 
England cannot run away from its racist past. And I don't care what kind of Zoom calls and social media um, initiatives you do and who you hire for your diversities are. You cannot get away from your colonial racist past. You just can't do it. But the fact that they're not like they're trying to gaslight their way out of it. Um, that's just not going to work in 2020 and 2021. And they may have an impact on the most gullible. And the races are the choir that they're just choosing to preach to. But they're in such an echo chamber that they're only convincing themselves. And ultimately, they're shooting themselves in the foot. And we are loving the job they're doing, too, because they're getting roasted every single day. And so that's been a very interesting thing to witness. And really, Harry and Meghan have been outside of any of that roasting because Harry and Meghan are no longer a part of the royal family in the way that they were. And they've sparked a very important conversation about race in that country, even though they're not there to take part of it. They don't have to be. Um, the conversation is really important. And as sad as it is, I think that causes a lot more people to resent them. Now, I don't think thinking people, but a lot of people who may not even be monarchists um, don't like the fact that England is now having this conversation because they don't like being uncomfortable. Um, but I think I think the job needed to be done. So good job, <laughs> Harry and Meghan, for that. Um, even if it's a conversation that might have even been had prior to the interview the interview was just basically like gasoline on a fire um but you know people are concerned that the british public at large doesn't um support harry and megan as much as they maybe once have but just wait long enough they will they'll come back around because they'll realize that england is not the world and they'll be reminded over and over again that there is a world outside of England that is quite interesting. All right. <laughs> they're going to see Harry and Meghan's name everywhere. They're going to see the work that they're doing. They're going to basically see themselves getting left behind. Um, and not even with regard to their opinion about Harry and Meghan, but just with regard to everything. England is in, in isolationist mode. Harry and Meghan don't care what England thinks about them. Harry cares what the military thinks about him. But Meghan doesn't give a shit what y'all think about her. She's American. <laughs> like, I don't know if y'all know that that's our attitude, but we just don't care. Uh, we care more about what we think about ourselves. I know that sounded a little self-centered, but America is a self-centered ass country. Um, but just in general, I think Megan's mind is on something so much bigger than England and even bigger than America. But one thing she got over here is support. And don't let people convince, don't let our right wing pissy ass right wing media convince y'all over there that, a Megan do that uh, America doesn't have Megan and Harry's back because we do. But my point about England, Megan doesn't care about what English folks think of her because she already knows it. But just like she did before, if she wants to hop on a plane and go to London when the pandemic is over, then that's exactly what she's going to do. She ain't going to go to no palaces, probably. Because she, she, I mean, it's kind of like 
I I would like to think that the palace and any of those estates um, are probably sort of like you ever eat a food that makes you sick and you never want to eat that food again. It's probably triggering for her in that way. You know, she probably has an aversion to it, like a visceral aversion to it. Uh, But, you know, London is still a global city. and, And so if Boo wants to, you know, jet set just because she can, then that's what she'll do. But she don't care about y'all's opinion of her. She's going to do what she's going to do. Um, but and I think England is always sort of been in that mode of, well, we're England. You know, historically, yeah, they were the big shit. They colonized everybody. Right. But we don't live in that time anymore. And so when... At some point when England realizes that they're being left behind and left out of a global conversation, they'll realize how dumb it was to spend energy hating Harry and Meghan and they'll turn their attention to the royal family and question whether or not they really need them. I'm telling you, eyes are always going to lead back to the monarchy, especially when the queen dies. This woman ain't going to live forever. She's 94 years old. So that's imminent. I'd say within the next decade. Um, In that time, Harry and Meghan, they're like, they're still going to be doing their thing. Um, The hard facts are always going to settle in. Harry and Meghan were never your problem in the first place. They did you a favor by leaving. Even Canadians are not with the shits. They said that, you know, there was a poll that was released not too long ago saying that um, the vast majority of people polled 55 percent. Well, that's a majority. It's not the vast majority. But um, more people than not believe that the royal family is no longer relevant. And I think like 48 percent want to leave the monarchy, leave the Commonwealth after the queen dies. Forty five percent rather. Uh, But yeah, a a study of um, that was done in sometime in February uh, stated that 45 percent of people want to have an elected head of state instead of the queen being the head of state. I think that's what we're going to see a lot of is especially when the queen dies. (sighs) Countries are just going to say no, thanks. No, thanks. And then a big conversation that's being had as well is that the fact that the Commonwealth is majority black and brown. What are those countries going to do? Like, what are they going to do given the fact that the person who's championed the Commonwealth is no longer here? And then we see how Harry and Meghan also championed the Commonwealth, but they're no longer involved. And the rest of the household is basically steeped in the Tory government. I mean, it's going to be a mess. It's going to be a mess. So they better hope she lives to be 200 years old because Canada is not having it. Northern Ireland is giving rumblings of wanting to um, join the rest of Ireland. That's weird in and of itself, but I guess that ain't none of my business. I'm just saying in general, like Northern Ireland being a region of a, of a, a nation that has already ditched the Commonwealth. Um, and then Scotland, 
Scotland is the big one. Um, let's say Northern Ireland, Canada, and Scotland all decide we're done. We're, we don't want anything to do with England anymore. The Commonwealth, we want to go our own way. What are the rest of the countries going to do? You know Australia is going to be right behind them. Australia is already uh, having rumblings of, like, there's a big movement in Australia to leave the Commonwealth. Um, then what are the other countries going to do? I mean, it's just going to be like dominoes, like dominoes. And that's what they fear. Um, this Harry and Meghan interview doesn't help them at all. And just the fallout from the interview itself. I mean, it doesn't help the royal family keep all of that together. And so then when you lose major countries in the Commonwealth, what are you? What are you? What are you? Especially after you've just isolated yourself from the rest of Europe. I personally would like to see it. I'm sorry. I'm petty. I want to see it. That ain't none of my business as an American, but I want to see it. Now, just quickly switching gears, I have to talk about the lame, shame, no shame, actually, blame game Cambridges. Um, I can't not talk about them just because they are such a like they play such a big role in not just the lead up to the interview, but also after the interview. And we see so much of what uh, what they're trying to convince the good folks that they're all about. Essentially, they're trying to rewrite the narrative. So just to quickly recap, in the interview, Harry described his relationship with William as, quote unquote, space. And, um, you know, after the interview, everybody has just collectively decided that it was likely William, either William or Charles, but more leaning toward William, who was worried about what Harry's kids would look like. And Megan, while she said she thought Kate was a good person, um, disclosed to the world that it was Kate that made her cry as opposed to the uh, headlines that wanted you to believe that it was Megan that made Kate cry. Um, an incident at Megan's own wedding uh, and something that a lot of people might not have caught was that Megan said, I think she's a good person, but I couldn't understand why she basically didn't have compassion for me in this moment, knowing that I was dealing with my dad and planning this wedding. Why wasn't she as supportive as everybody else was? What was hard to get over was being blamed for something that not only I didn't do, but that happened to me. It made me cry. And it really hurt my feelings. And I thought in the context of everything else that was going on in those days leading to the wedding, that it didn't make sense to not be just doing whatever, what everyone else was doing, which was trying to be supportive, knowing what was going on with my dad and whatnot. That was a big, um, that was a big moment, I think. That was, that was revealing a lot, I think, in terms of what, um, you know, questions that Megan had the right to ask. And then also Megan said that she never would have allowed Kate to be bashed in the media over a lie. That's saying a lot of what Megan, you know, to me about what Megan thinks about how Kate handled that, the part that she was directly involved in. 
So coming away from that interview and with those things said about those particular people, um, everybody, I think most people who <laughs> like Harry and Meghan or even are just neutral and just don't have a whole lot of love for the royal family. And there are quite a few people that I've seen that said, you know, I, I, I don't even see them the same. Um, people collectively came away with the belief that Will and Kate aren't who they say they are or who they want the world uh, to view them as. They're not those people. It's all a show. And I think people are really starting to get that, like on a real level. So then now after the interview, we're starting to see, and I, I kind of alluded to this a little bit before, we're starting to see who's really trying to um, compensate because Harry and Meghan never, <laughs> like they never explicitly stated that, you know, Kate was a mean girl and that William was racist. They never did. But what are Will and Kate doing right now? Right now, as you're listening to this, so from the interview until this very moment and probably beyond, what are they doing? Kate is going so far out of her way in ways that she has never, ever done before. To, And, and of course, she has the media support because they're always going to support her. She has to do absolutely nothing but wake up in the morning. They're going to support her. They're going to basically help promote um, this very flowery narrative about her but she's gone out of her way to try to make herself seen as this woman supporting duchess knowing full freaking well that has never been the way she's operated um will has gone out of his way to essentially say hey i'm not racist I have a black friend, like literally said that he has a black friend. Um, see, because if if somebody, if someone says something that you think is untrue about you, to, to some extent, you kind of brush it off. You deny it and you move on. But like, why are you going all out of your way to be somebody that we know you're not? Because you're trying to overcompensate. You're trying to cover something. To me, that's behavior that says, I want to conceal. And I'm no expert. Let me go ahead and put that on the record. I ain't no expert, but I'm just as qualified as them body language experts. Listen, you going all out of your way to change up your whole game plan because you're trying to conceal what the people that's that that have been the closest to you, especially Harry have experience in what they know about you. You're trying to conceal it because you're afraid. You're afraid that more details are going to come out. And Megan and Harry are not going to say anything in that interview that is not true. You best believe they're going to be able to back it up. And so um, of what they did share, that was already problematic enough. And so now Will and Kate are just out here I mean, you wouldn't even know. <laughs> it's like this is this is how you know they have no brand. They have no personal brand because it's like they're two completely different people. So basically, I'm going to look at their not that I'm ever going to be looking at them all that closely because I don't give a fuck at this point. But they're basically Will and Kate before the interview. 
you could say Will and Kate before Harry and Meghan, but really before the interview and Will and Kate after the interview. Because now they've switched into more of a, we got to preserve the monarchy mode. When Meghan and Harry became the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, it was, we have to outshine Harry and Meghan mode. You know, we have to compete. We have to take the spotlight. We have to make them look bad. Well, now you've done all that you you could do to make them look bad. You've done all that you can do to cut them down. You know, the one was on the verge of destroying herself, but here she is just out here winning. I mean, nothing you can do is going to stop people from liking them. And so now just as many people that like them despise Will and Kate. And so now they're in self-preservation mode and it's so desperate. And this is where you begin to see what Harry was talking about when he said they are trapped. They're trapped because now they're in this thing. Now they are basically the anti-Harry and Meghan for all of the Tory conservative leaning folks, all of the monarchists and royalists. They are the anti-Harry and Meghan. So they can't go anywhere. They have to act like they enjoy it. They have to look like they enjoy it, that they would rather be nowhere else. While trying to fend off assumptions from the global public that there is a race issue and that Kate is a mean girl, they're spending so much time and energy trying to now craft a new image that is so different from anything that people know of them for the previous eight or nine years. It just doesn't jive. And the ironic and beautiful thing about it is because it's so different and because it's such a sudden shift, all of a sudden nobody's buying it. And not only are people not buying it, they're mocking it. And that's when you know you've lost because when people are mocking you and everything you do, they're just sitting back and waiting to mock you and roast you, 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 you lost something along the way. You've become a laughing stock. And that is what is dangerous. I think people underestimate how effective humor is. And meme, um, meme culture. <laughs> Listen, we don't make the rules. We don't make the rules, but that's just the time that we're living in and it's your problem. You didn't adapt. And so now we're in this final stage of the Harry and Meghan and, you know, Will and Kate being compared that saga. We're in this stage now where, at least in terms of what I see, because I reside on Twitter, Harry and Meghan, everything they do is being lauded. Is taken seriously because we see not long after they announce things, we see impacts of uh, that influence. Doesn't matter who benefited, whether it's Clever or a women's shelter in Texas. We see the impact. It's taken seriously. It's appreciated. It's supported. It's promoted by everybody. And then what Will and Kate do especially since that interview, it's ridiculed. It's mocked. It's made fun of. So let me just pull out a couple of examples 
I mean, they keep rolling them out. Um, right after the interview, Will said, we're very much not a racist family. Nobody bought that. And I heard that that was set up, that that reporter was put out there just so he could deny uh, any racism in the royal family. Like, nobody bought that. People had a field day with that. Um, and the thing about that is Will calls himself protecting Kate because that was supposed to be a solo engagement. So he showed up to protect Kate and turns out he made it absolutely worse for everybody <laughs> in the royal family because nobody bought it. And the thing is, you know, people always talk about how fiercely protective of Kate he is. So you're telling me that Harry can't be fiercely protective of his own wife? Like that's somehow a problem? So I think that pissed people off as well. And then just a couple of weeks ago, we saw an article, again, media support for Kate. Um... Kate saying, well, you know, since the interview or a source said since the interview, uh, Kate said that, you know, she has to protect her children and not allow her children to see her um, suffer because of the interview. I guess she's like crying or something or supposedly. Right. It's always this push to make people feel like, you know, Kate is just this helpless white woman. Right. Um, But so Kate can protect her kids. But Megan can't protect her kids like Megan's complaining when she's trying to protect her kids. That type of stuff. And so what it is and what people hate the most from what I can tell is that it is gaslighting in real time. Like they are literally trying to gaslight Harry and Megan. And now the public because there there's one half of the the British public that would love nothing more than just to continue to drink these lies, knowing full well they're lies, but they they that's what they want to believe. That is called confirmation bias. And then the other half of the public, they're thinking folks. They might not even be on one side of the other, being a Republican or or a royalist, but they can smell that it's BS. And they don't appreciate it because that that in and of itself is an exhibition of the unhealthy and the toxic environment that Megan was in for that whole time. And when Kate is not out here trying to dress like Megan because she's switched up her whole style, apparently people are right. No, well, you know, Kate has really had a style evolution in the last three years. I wonder what changed. I wonder why that is why we haven't seen any coat dresses since Megan's wedding. Now we saw a few of them, but really she phased those joints out. I haven't seen Kate. I know that we've had the pandemic, but we haven't seen her in a coat dress. We've seen her in leopard midi skirts and boots like Megan wears and turtlenecks and all kinds of coats and wide leg trousers that they said Megan looked sloppy in. All of a sudden, Kate's wearing that shit. I mean, it, 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 it's not, we're not even going back a decade. It's like literally the last three years. But she gets praise for these things when all she's doing is wearing Megan's clothes. You feel me? Which is fine. But like, why are you trying to act? <laughs> that That just annoys me to no end. But when she's not doing that, She's marching out to a murdered woman's vigil without a mask so she can be seen so that the next day 
all of the papers that are her teammates, like her team players. These are her freaking people. It was probably coordinated by all of the newspapers in Kensington Palace that she would be out there at that particular time on that day to lay flowers. And what do you know? Every single paper had her picture instead of Sarah Everard's in the paper. Oh, Kate, you know, Kate is just out here supporting women because she remembers what it was like to be a single woman walking alone in London. Kate has never done anything like this. Never. And so this is why I think it leads directly back to the interview. She's stooping so low as to use a dead woman for positive PR. I don't know if it gets any lower than that. But her her whole MO and her team's MO is to change the narrative or to make the narrative something that says that Kate, she loves and supports women. You would think she was the feminist. Girl ain't got a feminist bone in her body. But Megan came onto the scene at day one and said, this is who I am and this is who I've always been. I am a feminist. I support women. Women deserve a seat at the table. If they are not there at the table, they're not invited. They should build their own damn table. Receipts. Girl, go find them. There's not a single one you can find on Kate before this interview. And this is not feminist. This is a ploy. This is a sick ploy. Um, and then on International Women's Day, what what did she do? Um, it was, you know, oh, I want to support Jasmine Harrison. I think that was her name. Um, you know, she rode across the Atlantic. Happy International Women's Day. She never did that. Ever, ever. But now she's trying to promote this idea that she supports women because now everybody, according to Megan and Megan's experience, she wasn't as supportive to Megan as she wants people to believe because she doesn't have it in her. Um, that's disgusting to me. That's absolutely disgusting, particularly the way that she hijacked that vigil. Now, we all sort of talked about it and all of that, you know, but what I don't like is how they tried to make it seem like, you know, it was some spontaneous thing. And, um, you know, I have to go out here and show support. A, she wasn't wearing a mask because she wanted to be seen. B, she had security. We know you got security. You know, you're the future queen, future queen. You're not going to go anywhere without security. But she marched in there like she didn't have it. You know, like her security was meant to blend in with everybody else. Marching there like the Duchess of Cambridge, because you want people to see you there, you know? But that's so low to me because it shows you that there there is no bottom for these people. I told y'all the bottom for these motherfuckers is hell. That's the bottom for them. Because had it been Megan, you know what the headlines would have been. It would have been exactly what I'm saying right now. Megan hijacks a woman's vigil in order to be seen by the public. And then I know the conversation in the last couple of days has been with uh, Cressida Dick and how somebody asked her, well, why was the Duchess of Cambridge there? But then when she left, everybody else got their heads bashed into the pavement. And she said, well, she was working. Well, she didn't look like she was working. That didn't look like no damn engagement to me. You know, but they knew what they were doing and they knew that they would have the support. The papers weren't writing about what happened to those women after she left when night fell. They didn't write about that. 
If they did, it was buried somewhere in the middle of the papers. They wrote about the Duchess of Cambridge. Her fucking face was on the front of the papers. And she didn't stop there because supposedly it, you know, the news came out that, you know, she supposedly wrote the family a letter after that visit or around the time of that visit. Well, okay, that's one thing. But you want the public to know that you wrote the letter. So you wrote the letter so that people could talk about it. That's not genuine. This is how, if you wanted it to get out or not even if you wanted it to, but ultimately if it came out, this is how it's supposed to be. You are supposed to selflessly put yourself in a position to be available to that family if you care about that family. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are. That is a character thing. And then at some point in the future, if that family wants to say, and yeah, at some, you know, she, she wrote us a letter and we thought it was really kind. That is for them to say. That's not for you to let the media know, oh, and by the way, this is what I did because it ain't genuine. But you're trying to write this new narrative that nobody believes. And right now you're just spinning your wheels and you look crazy. And I told y'all on this here podcast that when Harry and Meghan left, it was going to be some people in the royal family trying to be some fake feminists. We saw a little bit of it with, um, what's her name? Um, damn, I can never remember her name. Edward's wife, Sophie. Um, we saw a little bit with her, but she's not in the headlines enough for people to really see that. Kate is going full bore. And it's just not working. And now she's Che Guevara. That is, <laughs> that is so stupid. I am, I am a revolutionary. And this is how stupid the media thinks everybody else is. So in that, I'm just going to take an excerpt because I did read the articles because I wanted to know how, how do you make Kate out to be a revolutionary when she's been nothing but a Stepford wife up to this point? So I took a peek at the article just because I was curious, but here's what I found and this is where I this is where I I get confirmation that they think people are stupid. Um, I just took a short little excerpt out of it where Penny Junior, that thug, um, talks about how you know Kate is just you know she's just so clever and she's just quietly making her statements and it's uh, it says that Junior added that the Duchess's behavior following the interview, quote unquote, spoke volumes. Yeah, it speaks volumes of desperation um kate was making a very subtle point uh she said before going on to reference kate's appearance at the memorial for sarah everard in clapham you don't need to make a song and dance about things she showed up at clapham quietly with absolutely no fanfare i just thought it spoke volumes this is what i'm talking about just like blind media support no no critical thinking, no, no questioning, no devil's advocate, none of that stuff. We see very few journalists actually go there. But this is the problem with being royal. Nobody asks these people questions. They never have to answer for anything. And for Will and Kate and those in, in, in direct line to the throne, they're going to have media support and never be questioned, even in an article. And that's probably because it's not real journalism. And I understand my opinion is my opinion, but Kate was not making a subtle point. This was very sloppy. And 
there was song and dance. Again, she's desperately trying to put out an image that is not who we know her to be. And that's why when you search her name on Twitter, where the people are actually talking, Twitter is basically the world's watering watering hole um, where people have conversations in real time. When you put in her name, you're going to see PR stunt as one of the most searched things as associated with Kate Middleton's name. And that tells you a lot about what people are thinking. And Will, I mean, he just can't for the life of him understand why he doesn't have as much love as Harry has in these streets. Even from when they were younger, if you go back and you watch some royal documentaries, um, which, you know, in hindsight, it's kind of like, these are some of the same people that we roast on Twitter and you kind of sort of have to take their uh, take what they say with a grain of salt. But a lot of people talk about how Will and Harry have always had this, even in their, even in their youth, sort of a competitive relationship, which you kind of would expect that with brothers a little bit, but in that situation in, in the monarchy where, you know, Will is the future king uh, and Harry. Yeah, he's a spare, but, you know, he's more athletic. He's more likable. You know, he's more sociable. Um, People have said that Will has always sort of had a little bit of resentment for him. And then also Harry has said when he was younger, he would say to Will, I can do what I want to do. You can't because you're you're going to have to be the king. And then you fast forward some 25, 30 years and Harry has said in front of a global audience, this motherfucker is trapped. <laughs> like it, it really doesn't. I mean, because there are some truth to there has to be some truth to the fact that there's always been just that little bit of tension that's just been exacerbated by the family that they're in. Um, but now it's like, like I said, they're throwing everything at the wall just to see what sticks and they have been for the last few years and Harry and Meghan have only gained more favor and I think as far as Will goes he can't understand why he can't just knock Harry down Harry may as well be the next in line because that's who everybody that's who everybody loves not that he wants that but that's that's the love that Will wishes he had as someone who is due to take the throne harry was basically growing up what's called a whipping boy and i got that term i learned that term from ivy barrel of the meganpedia podcast please check them out um but basically where if there was something unsavory that happened or coming out or could come out about will then harry was the one that got the consequence um growing up you notice that all of the whenever, you know, you look back at their their teenage years and young adult years, you don't see any bad headlines about William. That's by design. It's why, you you know, it's the same engine that drums up all these wonderful headlines about him and Kate. Now, you don't see any bad thing, but you get you don't have to go very far to find. Crazy, nasty headlines about Harry as a teenager, a child right um so he was the whipping boy and when you have a whole entire life 
of having someone that always is there to take your consequence and that you can basically have one image in the public and another behind, you know, closed doors that nobody ever really knows. Um, and now that's not that's not there anymore, because when Harry got married, he put the brakes on that. And to an extent, the media, the media just still kept on with that practice of uh, making Harry the whipping boy while basically promoting Will when Will is the one doing all the dirt behind the scenes, like doing the dirt. Allegedly. OK, because I got to throw that in there. But it don't take a genius. Harry told you himself. He's not speaking to, to William. Not really. But there, I think a lot of that is rooted in sort of uh, the resentment and the jealousy. And I think there's jealousy from uh, Will toward Harry and from Kate toward Megan. And that's not me being messy. That's just me saying that Harry and Megan are, were and still are the it couple of the royal family. And Technically, that's supposed to be Will and Kate, but the love is just not there. And so they can't figure out why they can't knock Harry and Meghan off that pedestal that everybody else has put them on. Yeah, you got to Again, you got a few people, a lot of people, maybe even in England who um, don't like Harry and Meghan and they believe all those things that the media writes, you know, the royal family's media writes about them. That's okay. Nobody cares. We live in a global environment right now. And Will and Kate are trying to take their piece of the pie and it's just not working out. So as far as Kate, I think that when Megan was introduced, you know, in the royal family, I believe Kate was resentful of that because um, Megan was everything that she didn't know how to be, especially as Megan, the Duchess of Sussex, was just having influence all over the place, getting, you know, young people just showing up and, you know, clamoring just to shake her hand in ways that Kate has never experienced. And really from day one, the world made Megan out to be the modern princess, like the one modern princess. And I think Kate and the institution, they couldn't for the life of them understand why all these thousands and millions of girls all over the world preferred a black woman, a black American woman at that over her, the boring English rose couldn't figure it out. And people tend to hate the things that they don't understand. And the strangest in all of this is how the Cambridges are trying so hard to be seen as the Sussexes are seen, but they don't seem to understand that nobody is buying it. Will will tell the world, I have a black friend, but that black friend doesn't seem to get an invite to his wedding, for example. Harry's black friend takes pictures of his most intimate moments with his family. And Harry has more than one black friend. It's well documented. You can look over his life and see all of the friends that he's made or, or many of the friends that he's made. And they're a diverse selection of people, male and female. He's very much like his mom in this way. But 
that's just an example. Kate pretends to support women, even though as a supposed mental health supporter and supporter of pregnant and new mothers, she sat back and watched her sister-in-law be bullied almost to death and said nothing. But we're supposed to believe she supports women. Whereas Megan actually supports women by generating income for their charities and their businesses, including the Hub Community Kitchen, Clever Blends, Smart Works, and the Genesis Women's Shelter, just to name a few. People can tell me till they're blue in the face that they think Will and Kate are good people. Megan, again, she even said that she thought Kate was a good person. And that's all fine and well. But I will never see it for them, ever. I think they are self-serving at their core. And everything that they're getting in return is just karma. Because all they had to do was just be kinder. They just had to be kind people. They had to actually be the people that they want the public to see them as. You know, be true advocates for mental health, not just you know, on your little heads together promo stuff. Do it behind closed doors because if that's how you really ran things, Megan never would have been in the position that she was in and she would still be over there. But you lost the opportunity of a lifetime to put your money where your mouth is and you just chose not to because you're jealous, bitter, and petty. I will never see it for them. But I will say, I do feel sorry for their kids. And I know a lot of y'all don't, but they're just kids. Nobody chooses that. Nobody chooses that lifestyle. Um, I mean, because it is a moral ghetto. It's a moral ghetto. And, you know, they're in that situation. Harry is a, Harry's lucky that he was able to find someone that he could escape with. Because it is something to escape. The man, again, the man said that they were trapped. You tend to want to escape things you feel trapped in. And so their kids, they didn't pick that life. But as the pressure mounts on the monarchy, and it's going to be a steady pressure that will build the older the queen gets. I see the Cambridges using their kids as shields for themselves in the same way they tried to use Harry and Meghan as shields. They're going to use their kids, particularly the ones that come after George. They're trapped. And at some point, Will and Kate are going to turn their kids over to the beast that is the British press. It's inevitable. And that ain't none of my business. But I just find it sad. And I am so glad that Harry had the foresight to say, not for my kids. Not for my kids. Harry and Meghan's kids get to actually be kids and have privacy and space to just be free and make mistakes. They get to learn about life through a lens of empathy and not envy. And let's let the church say amen, because that's a blessing. Whatever they had to go through, I bet they're glad they went through it, just so their kids cannot be in that sick system. Now, let me talk about the royal family real quick, just the institution as a whole. 
Is it just me or have Harry and Meghan given them enough rope for them to hang themselves with? I saw a tweet a couple of days ago and I can't remember who, I'm sorry. It said that there's no way, but this is something we all know as well. But it said that there's no way that the royal family would have sat on its hands and watched Piers Morgan attack Kate Middleton every day for three years. And we know that's true because people can't even talk about her Botox or hair extensions, which is her right. But the palace comes out swinging just for that. Just mentioning it. Fast forward to yesterday and Piers Morgan makes the claim that he was thanked by members of the royal family for, quote unquote, defending the royal family. Well, see, the problem is in the, quote unquote, defending of the royal family, he basically said that he doesn't believe Megan was suicidal. He said that he doesn't, quote, believe a word she says. The man has gone on record to say that the royal family, members of the royal family, have thanked him. Have you heard from anyone in the palace thanking you for the, you know, serious defense of them? I've had some messages uh, communicated to me on behalf of several members of the royal family. Upper level I'm very grateful that... Well, I'm not going to go into who it was, um, but what I would say is gratitude that somebody was standing up for them. And as much as I hate him, Dan Wooten said it. He said he was one of the first people I heard say that the royal family was briefing against Harry and Meghan to the press. Much of the negativity towards the couple is coming from within the royal family. The royal family and staff of the royal family are the ones that are very often leaking these stories to the press. When Meghan was still about to take her case to trial, there were people that went on television and said, the royal family does not want Megan to continue with this case because there are some things that are going to come out and people are going to change their minds. These are very public figures, but also we will see fully and understand better why they're also very angry with the royal family and they want to leave. And it's not just the media coverage. There are real tensions there. And there are some things we can't discuss for legal reasons publicly now. But when people hear and see that they will be better informed and they, they yeah, will, they will change yep. their mind. Then there were people that have written about William that have written about him, you know, his whole life saying that William runs a very tight ship. And so if anything were to come out against Harry and now in this case, Megan, then that's just because William wants it to come out. Say, for example, those bogus bullying allegations and the whole Jason Knopf fiasco. Now it seems like the family isn't even trying to hide it anymore. It's either that or they've gotten really sloppy and they just fail to read the room. Either they don't realize or they don't care that they're looking exactly as Harry and Meghan described. And then now we're seeing that a reports, at least, that... William and Tom Bradbury, William severed that relationship because Bradbury has apparently come out in favor of Harry in so many words. Tom Bradbury, if you don't know, is the journalist that interviewed Harry and Meghan when they were still on tour in Africa. That was the special that Meghan, you may recall, said that she was experiencing a hard time. Um, also, as a new mother, her friends told her not to marry Harry. Um, and 
the line that really shot out across the world was when she said that not a lot of people have asked me if I'm okay. And that was when the regular person who wasn't really looking as closely as, as we were started to kind of just get a peek behind the curtain. And as for Will, how petty do you have to be? We know you're petty. However, you're just confirming everything Harry and Meghan have said in the interview. We know you haven't called your brother. And when you did, he said point blank, it wasn't productive. Moving on. And you got in your feelings because Gail King, <laughs> okay, um, one of the faces of a major network in America, basically put you on front street just because she could, but she's coming from Harry's perspective. Um, now you're cutting ties with like actual journalists in your country just because they have the audacity to have common sense and say, hey, Harry wasn't really all that wrong here. He's doing what he had to do. And what you may also re remember from that documentary was Harry said something that keeps getting repeated just because it keeps becoming relevant when we look at just the things that they've gone through. And initially, it seems like he was talking about either his mom or his mom's experience. But he said, you know what, if you know some of the things I know, you'd be protective of your family as well. And in hindsight, he could have very well been talking about Will, Kate, Will and Kate's team, Charles, Charles's team, all the gray men. But in light of the interview, you get the feeling that there's a lot that Harry is sitting on. And I don't really know if Will wants that smoke. Like, I, I mean, to, to an extent, I don't think Harry is going to allow himself to really go there in a lot of ways because just because of how he would be viewed as just outright, quote unquote, betraying his family, even though he would be in the right. Um, just like when Oprah asked him, you know, who said the thing about the skin color? And he said, well, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to answer it. He's not going to name names. But if you notice right, right behind that, the next day he said, well, it wasn't this person, it wasn't that person. Harry has a lot that he wants to get off his chest and, and, and just keep trying him. And he just might. That's the vibe that I'm getting. Really same for Megan. But Megan got a lot on her plate right now. And she, neither one of them are, are so worried about this. But don't get it twisted because I know Harry especially is fully aware of the smear campaign that's going on in England right now. I mean, it, it's not working the way they want it to, but, you know, again, more people are saying, oh, well, you know, the the feeling toward Harry and Meghan, it has changed so much since the wedding. Okay, but Harry and Meghan are still doing their work. They're still out here doing the things they said they were going to do. And y'all are still writing about it. Like the, the same people smearing them are also promoting their work. So when you look at the smear campaign, both now and when Megan was in the royal family living in England, and then you look at the royal family's behavior after this interview and how much just the family is confirming, and then you add in the fact that so far five or six people have outright not even implicated the family, but just overtly stated that the family is certainly involved. You see that the invisible contract ain't so invisible. Harry and Meghan stated outright because they were asked 
whether racism played a part in their departure. And they said yes. They talked about the racism involved with questioning what the ch- their children's skin color would look like. And then we saw it day in and day out in the media where for three years they were heavy handed with racist tropes and stereotypes, racist wordplay. No matter how good Megan did as a duchess, no matter how much good she brought to charities and how much positive attention she brought to the, the royal family, they wanted her gone. And history will show you that the royal family, those in direct line for the throne, they don't want anybody to take their quote unquote shine, whether they have shine or not. Charles has always been a dud. He knows he's been a dud. But when Diana came along, it was a problem, even though she was his wife and the mother of his children, because she was outshining the future king. Even though she brought more good to the monarchy than he did in terms of the the public favor. Then you have Will, Kate and Harry and everybody's like, oh, well, you know, I want it just to go back to the three of them, despite the fact that this man has a wife and child. Well, you know, why can't it just go back to the way that it used to be? Because Harry was fine as long as he and, and, and the goodwill that was aimed toward him could be shared equally among the three of them. He, his brother and Kate. But when Harry decided that he wanted his own family unit and that family unit became a juggernaut of popularity within the same institution, then it became a problem because Harry is not sharing that goodwill anymore. He's he's not with them. He's sharing it with his family. And Kate is drumming up her own goodwill because she's far more meaningful to young women and young people than Kate has ever been, right? So- Together, they're just outshining the entire clan. And that's a problem because they don't know what to do with that. And they thought Harry and Meghan were just going to remain in the royal family, find a way to adapt, find a way to put up with it, fade into the background. They said that three months after Harry and Meghan got married. Oh, they're, they're going to fade into obscurity. Well, that never happened. Not that Harry and Meghan were even wanting to be out front, but the people like who they like. But when Harry and Meghan didn't fade into the background, really they just wanted Meghan to fade into the background, then day after day, it was an assault on that woman, her character, her mental psyche, in the press, uh, coordinated, orchestrated by members of the royal family, or so it seems, and... Now that they're gone and now that their (laughs) popularity is now fully global, we see the same efforts taking place, only it's not hurting Harry and Meghan the way that they thought it would. It's not hurting them at all because Harry and Meghan have moved on. And so the only people left to hurt are themselves because now they're stuck in a position and particularly the Cambridges, particularly Will, in a position of just hating. I mean, just hating this black woman that they can't take down. They thought it was going to be easy. Like it was supposed to be easy. Everything in the history book says it's not going to be hard at all because you know, you got good old racism going for you, not just within the institution, but also within your country. You can deny it if you want to. Everyone knows it's there. You thought it was going to be easy and it just wasn't. 
And the reason why you didn't see how hard it would be is because you failed to adapt to the times that you're living in. Just because the institution itself is a relic doesn't mean everybody else is not modern and living in the times that we find ourselves in. It was supposed to be easy to make her bend or to break her. Harry, of course, he's going to fall in line. He's family. But it didn't work out that way. And so now what I think is going to happen, because a lot of what we have predicted has is, is playing out right now <laughs> in real time. It's so weird. But what I think is going to happen now with the royal family, not that I care, because who cares, right? They could They could just, like vanish and I wouldn't lose a blink of sleep but what I think is going to happen now is what we're seeing but it's just going to continue to deteriorate and deteriorate because people are seeing plain as day we are very much not a racist family being said on one end and then Piers Morgan says well yeah they thanked me they thank me because everybody knows he's a bigot, right? Not to mention Thomas Markle said, hey, the royal family, girl, you owe me. You owe me. Didn't go into specifics, but that could mean many, many things. And it's up for us to decide. And then not only that, but like the royal family is not even releasing a statement about that, about Piers Morgan saying, well, there were members of the royal family that thanked me for quote-unquote standing up to Harry and Meghan as if Harry and Meghan were the bullies so the fact that they're not even going to comment on it but every you know every couple weeks or every week they're talking about how allegations against Meghan of being a bully are being looked into when the invisible bullies behind closed doors are high-fiving the public bullies and that's okay because Harry and Meghan will continue to thrive and as we come out of this pandemic, baby Sussex number two gets here. You know, the Invictus Games rolls on. You know, Netflix content, Spotify content rolls on. The royal family, they're just going to be unveiling plaques and cutting ribbons and, you know, waving their arms in the air saying, hey, we're over here too. And ain't nobody going to give a damn. But let's talk about what the Sussexes have been up to. We just saw news of their first documentary series uh, due on Netflix. We don't have a date, but I'm so excited about that. And what a wonderful way to introduce a global audience to your work. And through the Invictus Games, we get to see some of the blood, sweat, and tears that not just Harry, but everyone on the Invictus Games Foundation team um, have poured into the games themselves. Um, we thought we would see the Invictus Games this year because, silly us, we thought the pandemic would be over by this point. <laughs> but here we all are. Uh, but certainly they have, um, actually just yesterday, they came out and said that they're going to go forward with it a year from now. So 2022, the Invictus Games, The Hague will roll on. And I guess in the lead up to that, they'll be doing some filming, some storytelling with a lot of these athletes. Incredible stories they have. I'm almost certain of it. And Harry is going to be executive producing this docuseries. 
And I can't wait for everyone else to see what we see, you know, when when we hear about the Invictus Games and what we know about the the foundation itself. And I don't know if you remember just a couple months ago when it was announced that Harry and Meghan wouldn't be patrons of certain charities or the royal charities and the Invictus Games was like, well, just so y'all know, okay, we ain't going nowhere. <laughs> that was like, that was like my favorite one because they were like, because first of all, Harry founded us and, um, you know, just so y'all don't get it twisted, uh, we're going to stay right where we are. And so for this docuseries on Netflix, um, Harry and Meghan got another one, another award-winning filmmaker, um, well, this time a duo, Orlando Von Eisendel. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm so bad with names, y'all. And Joanna Natasagara. So if it's anything like Rising Phoenix, the other documentary that we saw on Netflix where Harry made his, his debut there um, as a commentator, that was a, such a beautiful documentary, I gotta say. Just the imagery was so amazing. And the storytelling was brilliant as well. The Invictus Games will be a series. And so I'm really looking forward just to learning a little bit more about um, how some of these athletes prepare, some of the, the challenges that they've faced um, and how they've overcome a lot of those things, the team building, the competition, you know, how the games come together, how they coped with the pandemic. I mean, there's just going to be so much to be presented in this documentary and we'll get to see Harry's take on all of it, like all that the Invictus Games has experienced throughout the pandemic. Um, but then also as sort of a boss, <laughs> um, Archwell Productions is here, guys. She's here. She's arrived. And at the end of the day, Invictus Games is going to be exposed to a global audience. A global audience right in their living rooms. And they stand to benefit from that and they can only grow. And I think it would be awesome if the Invictus Games becomes a household name, just like the Warrior Games is over here. Um, Harry's taken the Invictus Games to three continents so far. And he's kept in close contact with the people that he served with. Uh, a lot of them are athletes in the games. And so I can't wait to see what this docuseries looks like and just all of the things that we're going to get from Archwell Productions. You know, they don't have to try to compete with nobody. They just have to do their work, you know, bring their projects in. Clearly they can get some heavyweights, like people who know what they're doing, uh, you know, there was so much talk about, well, you know, they don't have any experience with that. It's not like they're Shonda Rhimes and they have already had content on, on um, major networks before. You don't need that. You just need a vision. That's it. And not to be petty, but you remember when like the Cambridges copyrighted Earthshot for, especially after that Netflix deal was announced. And the Spotify deal was announced. Well, then all of a sudden the Cambridges want to do podcasts <laughs> and they want to do, um, try to get streaming deals. Um, first of all, 
they can't even use the name Earthshot or there's still there's still a legal battle going on with that. But girl, don't nobody want don't nobody want to see y'all content. <laughs> what y'all doing? And you know, it's so funny that people were calling Harry and Meghan celebrities as if that's a step down from being royal. Okay, girl, well, if they're celebrities, then why are you trying to be one too? <laughs> like, why are you trying to be like the people you hate? I don't understand. And the main difference between, honestly, the main difference between Harry and Meghan and everybody else in the royal family that supposedly does charity work, Harry and Meghan actually care about the people they help. The royal family only cares about staying relevant. But girl, we know Harry and Meghan the blueprint. Y'all can try. I mean, y'all can try to copy. Y'all already doing it. But you just won't be successful. Just understand that as you're going through the motions of trying to remain relevant. Um, but speaking of Harry and Meghan's work, there is a lot more of it. Harry has some really cool appointments. Silicon Valley, working with the Better Up app. He has um, been named as one of the people participating in the Aspen Institute study on disinformation. And speaking of disinformation, how about Clever Blends? So we see the same media that tries to discredit Megan try to discredit Clever Blends just because they want to discredit Megan a little bit further. And it turns out Clever Blends comes out on top. So this is literally steely from the color purple. I should have locked you up and just let you out to work. The day you plan for me is the one you're going to rot in. Steely, get in the car. Get in the car. I knocked you up on Everything you've done to me. Already done to you. <laughs> like... We can't lose on this side. Make sure you check out the Fortune magazine write-up on Clever Blends. Um, they go in, into um, how they found out that Megan was going to be investing in their startup. And um, they don't get too detailed about the amount of the investment. Um, but they do talk about how Megan is a mentor and... It's just a really cool write-up. There's also even a video if you go into the article online. So um, check that out. I, I guess the girls in, in, in England saw that and said, oh, no, we got we got to try to put a stop to that. And I guess the people who want to believe that, you know, because basically what they were saying was that um, some of the oat milk was sourced in uh, a part of China that is oppressing the Uyghurs. And that's false. That should be stated. But it's like... They're trying so hard to take down everything that Harry and Meghan touch in hopes that the people they're trying to influence the most believe it. And, and maybe they probably will. But that's not going to stop Clever Blends from making their money because I'm still going to get my latte on. Been on a subscription plan. But in a weird way... That's how you know Harry and Meghan have won. Um, we, we know from like a million examples. But, you know, we always talk about how the press and the royal family are like that abusive ex. And or just the bitter ex, you know, and the ex 
sees the one that got away doing well and everything they do. You got some sly to say about it. That's all this is. Even though it, even though you know it's fire, even though you know they look good, even though you know they making bank, you still got to mumble some under your breath because they not with you. <laughs> we love it. And we know y'all hate it because they living their best life. Ain't going back and forth with you, bitches. They're literally living their best life. Carmen and Kane quick and she here to stay. And so with that, that is pretty much all I have for today. Make sure to follow me on Instagram and on Twitter. I think about half of you guys have received the Sussex Set podcast mugs. If you are on my Patreon and you did not receive a mug, that's because you didn't send your address. So if you want one, definitely send me your address. Otherwise, I'm just about to start giving the rest of them away. I have about, ooh, I want to say 20 of them left. If you are new to the channel and you've joined the channel, definitely um, send me your address on Instagram. And speaking of giveaways, I have a really, really nice giveaway for 15,000 subscribers on YouTube. I think I'll just make it a YouTube giveaway. Um, I'm almost 1,000 subscribers from 15,000. So that'll come at some point um, within the next couple months, I guess. Um, hey, thank you guys for your support on this channel and for all of the the Sussex squad platforms really like I was geeked when I got like a hundred subscribers <laughs> um I got like over 2,000 subscribers since the interview but even before then just having more than 10,000 subscribers is kind of crazy to me like I can't believe y'all just sit up here and listen to me talk shit but here we all are uh no for but seriously thank you guys so much for your support it means the world and just the community the Sussex Squad community is so amazing um really all of you guys are so amazing just in your own walks of life what your contributions are and just making sure that the truth was not carried away by a tidal wave of lies and of course it's a day by day we still just trying to fight for the right things with regard to Harry and Meghan and how they're being portrayed but in the midst of all of that this community has just been this incredibly powerful voice for justice and kindness despite what people try to write about <laughs> about us listen we didn't say we wasn't ruthless you feel me but there's so much compassion in this community as well and so um make sure you're subscribed to all of the platforms not just mine uh sussex squad podcast meganpedia megan's world a duchess like us like we're we're really deep out here <laughs> and we we had to be though because you see the types of forces that Harry and Meghan were up against, like entire industries. And we were still able to change false narratives. Um, and of course, that's still ongoing. But dear British media, Will and Kate, Carol Middleton, Zara, Camilla, Anne, Charles, Margaret, 
Elizabeth the first and the second and the corgis and whoever else want the smoke girl you can get it because our recollections don't vary sussex squad stay blessed and until next time peace i'm a bad bitch you can't kill me kill me